And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back, back for another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here to have another conversation that I'm hoping helps your business grow. All right, so in your business, you've got data. You may or may not have discipline, and it's possible you need some help or you're able to deploy either in a way that makes sense. That's what we're going to talk about today. And before I get too far into that, today's episode of Startup Hustle is powered by Fullscale.io. Hiring software developers is difficult. Fullscale can help you build a software team quickly and affordably and has the platform to help you manage that team. Visit Fullscale.io to learn more. That's my business, people. We want to talk to you, so reach out. We talk to Startup Hustle listeners all the time. With me today, I've got Keith Sorensky. He's the CEO of the Penn Business Network. You can go to PennBN. That's P-I-N-B-N.com. There's a link in the show notes for that, which will make it even easier for you to visit straight out of Denver, Colorado. Keith, welcome to Startup Hustle. Thanks, Matt. It's great to be here. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I want to I'm ready to talk about data discipline and deployment, uh, which are now the three D's for us today. But before we do that, I'd like a little more of your backstory. So let, let's hear it. Yeah. So, so thanks. Um, pin pin business network. We are, we're a data company um, and we were founded 10 years ago uh, under the idea or under the auspice that what we really wanted to do was help the small and medium-sized businesses in the market compete with the big enterprises. So think of helping your local franchise owner of Ace Hardware over Home Depot. Um, so we came up with a concept that you know we'll get into in more detail over time, but <clears throat> we launched that concept early in 2013, and then we spent a couple years um, selling that into the market. And then we started getting very curious about data specifically. Um, so we are, like I said, 10 years old as an organization, we have never taken a dollar of outside capital and we've grown from nothing to where we are today in a nice office, uh, just South of Denver. And I have about 40 full-time employees in this office. Um, we made a, a big transition around 2015, 2016, uh, where we realized that what was actually happening for small and mid-sized businesses where they, they were competing with their bigger brethren, but they were competing um, against in, or inside of an environment that's all about ad revenue and ad placement. And so what we figured out was that there is an infinite number of ways in which data is being collected. And there is an infinite number of ways in which that data is being monetized outside of your business organization. And so we made decisions to get off of AWS um, we removed ourselves from from that platform. We made decisions to go back to what I would call sort of the 90s and early 2000s, where we went into our own data center. Um, so now we have data center footprints here and around the country for redundancy. 
and we started the, the process of building the kernel of our own private cloud network. And the reason for that is that if you are operating a business, I, I believe that number one, you should privatize and protect the customer information that you are collecting in order to run your business. And then number two, you should be open and honest and transparent about how you're deploying against that information. And number three, you should never share that information without approval. So what we realized is that the big tech companies, they're collecting all kinds of data as you engage with their platforms. But the bigger you get as a business and the more you use third-party systems to prop up how you go to market, the, the faster and more quickly you will realize that you are actually an extension. You are a data funnel in and of yourself for those big tech companies. And then what ends up happening is as that information swirls around out in the ether, um, it will get sold to the highest bidder. And so what most companies don't realize is that the ease and the freeness of the use of you know, Google and Facebook and those, those products, they're wonderful products, don't get me wrong. Um, but if you're trying to stand up a business and you haven't consolidated your tech stack and you haven't connected your data streams, then you're not going to have a whole lot of clarity in terms of how you understand the market is engaging with your products. And so we've really stayed away, like I said, from um, fundraising and having external funds inside of our organization because we never wanted to be told that we had to sell the database or sell audiences outside of the database. So simultaneously, the best decision we have ever made as an organization is it's private and it's not for sale. The, the worst decision that we have ever made is that it's private and it's not for sale. So, um, so we're sort of in a conundrum. And as we, as we continue to scale, uh, we've always been very curious and innovation focused. Um, but most of the stuff that we do, we build as a response to the, what our clients are actually asking for. So kind of the last thing I'll say is nothing that PIN does across all of the different um, disciplines that we engage in is cookie cutter. You can't, you can't buy it off of a shelf. It, get con it gets constructed for the client to solve a very specific problem that that client has. And then what we've done over the course of the last 10 years is we've co-opted all of our clients together so they're non-competing, right? And they will share customers because they're non-competing but they will never share data. Interesting. So, you know, the data's obviously been a, a hot topic for years now. Um, and, and it's been uh, used inappropriately. Uh, I think we can, uh, uh, you know, I just finished watching the, really enjoyed the, uh, the series Super Pumped on Showtime, which was the Uber story. And my God, Uber, don't do that to my data. You know, I mean, that was like pretty much a, a, a glaring example of misusing access to things that you have mainly in your phone. And, you know, with that, we went through Facebook and they're kind of getting well slapped, uh, shut out, turned off a lot of different things. And it kind of makes you realize you're like, oh, wow. You know, there's a lot of this going on now. Now, with that, a lot of people are saying that data is suddenly the most valuable thing on the planet. Uh, there's so few that seem to know how to use it. Now, a couple a couple things that listeners might find germane here um, is, you know, data inherently isn't structured either. It's very loose. And if when you have unstructured data, I mean, like the, the example would be like, 
when you look at a comma separated values file and you're like, wow, that looks like a whole bunch of stuff run together, or you actually look at a, an actual spreadsheet file where it feels organized and sortable and you can do something with it. Now with that, neither of those matter if you can't make actionable decisions and do stuff, you know? So I think a lot of businesses get stuck in this whole thing where they look at the data well after the ability to actually do something about it. Just with some of that would be like maybe the simple signs that, that repeat and show up, uh, you know, right before a client churns or something like that. So now, now with all of that, um, I like, I, I like any solutions that build things that aren't cookie cutter. So you know, I like the commitment to that. Can you give an example? I and mean, you don't have to like, I mean, you don't have to get too deep with this, but what's an example of like something like, how does something get, well, I don't even know what necessarily what the cookie cutter tools are, but I, I do know as the founder of Gigabook, that, so that's a booking platform that's uh, meant to be fully customizable. Like we're, we exist for the industries and the service provider types that don't have an industry specific platform. Like that's our niche. And I, you're kind of like in that same boat, you know, in a lot of ways. So, I mean, what's a, like, what's a, like a real life example. So, so especially in a, in a way that someone listening might be like, Oh, pen, pen BN, by the way, there's a link for that in the show notes. Yeah. That's a great question. Thanks. So, so I'll give you an example. I, I'm not going to name the client. I want to protect sort of, sure, sure. sort of that, that, that uh, commitment I have to them, <clears throat> but we, uh, back in 2017, signed um, a big contract with a coffee company that most of, I would imagine, your listeners would know if I actually named them. Um, they were re they recently just went public. Let's just leave it at that. When we started working with them, um, they had a lot of great assets, a lot of great creative, a lot of great video. They had, they were very prevalent in social media. They had a wonderful mission, and they lived their values. Um, when we first started talking to them, what we realized at the very beginning was if they were going to scale, if they were going to grow, then they needed to be able to understand who their customers actually were so or who their customers actually are. So we built a system that would allow them to create audience segments. So a cookie cutter example of this would be going to Google or your favorite DSP provider, let's just use you know, basis or somebody like that. And you can ask them for audiences when you go to deploy marketing, but you're actually relinquishing control over who's getting that message. And you're relying on them to serve that message to people you think are most likely to engage. And what we say, what we said to them is no, let's reverse engineer that. Let's not ask who the audiences are. Let's build them. Let's go through the customer database that you have now um, and let's figure out who's a one-time buyer, who's a subscription customer, who's a bulk order, who are the business owners that are repeating bulk orders. And then what we did was we segmented each of those groups and then we built unique go-to-market campaigns and sort of A-B layer testing across messaging and then methodology. And so again, a cookie cutter approach, if you were going to think about us helping you with marketing would be, let's go on Facebook and spend X. Let's go on Google and spend Y. 
and then let's hire somebody to do SEO for me. And then all those things will magically coalesce into a story. And the, the challenge is they will not because Facebook will take credit. Google will take credit and whoever's doing your SEO doesn't want to lose your business. So they'll take credit. But the challenge is, and what we realize is you can actually use all three of those platforms simultaneously and you can sync them up if what you're doing is deliberate. So when you figure out a message strategy that works for a particular audience, the next layer is the methodology in which you use to reach out to them. Or you can start on the other side and you can use the methodology approach and then tailor your message. So then what we did was we reduced the amount of money it cost them to get a single buyer. And then we started and created a process document. And we realized that what they lacked inside of the organization wasn't a message, it was, or a messaging strategy, it was how do I maintain conversion and create the, the largest lifetime value out of each customer? So then we started mapping out what happens when they show up in the site? What's the abandoned cart process? How do we reach back out to them to get them to sign up for email and text and the rest? And then all of a sudden you come to find out that your subscription buyers look very, very different than your one-time bag buyers. So then you start to bifurcate that information. And as you can see, like over time, you just end up solving a problem, which causes you to ask a series of questions you didn't know existed yesterday. And then we just spend tomorrow answering those questions. And that cycle just continues and continues and continues. And so I'll probably age myself a little bit here, but I like to use the reference from the movie Fletch in the eighties, where he jokes about- I'll get that, I'll get that. Awesome. So he jokes yeah, about- on me. the He jokes about you know, where the drugs are coming from on the beach. And his editor asks him, is it this guy, Fat Sam? And, and Chevy Chase's character responds, well, there we're kind of in a gray area. And he says, well, how gray? And he goes, charcoal? And the point of that is, is he doesn't know. So you have a little bit of information, but I, I like to, to make sure that our clients understand and the people that work with us understand you don't ever want a 4K HD resolution picture because all that is going to be is yesterday. You should always be in a state of gray and always asking questions and always analyzing data, trying to find improvements to process to messaging, to strategy, to even organizational structure that would allow you to move forward. And so I use them as an example because they were a client for about three years. And when they left, it was because they got their, their uh, funding backing. And then that company took all of those processes that we had helped them construct. Um, and, and I don't want to take away from any of the work that they did. Um, but then now they're a big public company. And, and so we're proud of that. And we actually have lots of examples uh, of that happening here in Colorado as well. We just recently had one of our clients that was with us for five years. Um, it was a father-son business, just had a nice little exit event for themselves as well. So those are kind of wins um, that we have when you, when you analyze information for a purpose, not just reporting on information because it makes me look good. So, so I, I, I grabbed the data and I grabbed the deployment side out of that. I'm feeling like the discipline is waiting for the right pitch. And, you know, and, and I mean that like in a baseball kind of sense, or like you mentioned, like the 4K high resolution views always of what occurred in the past. Now, yeah, you know, sorry, I'm a former baseball player. So then I always, the, the hitting coach tells you to look for the fastball and adjust to a curve. And that means you have to be ready to 
you know, to pivot to, you don't know where the pitch is going to be. You don't know if you're going to, you know, if you're trying to hit an inside pitch down the, as a right-handed batter down the right field line, you're not going to get very far. It'd probably just break your bat, you know? And so, you know, a lot of, is that the discipline side is having like being able to be disciplined enough to not just chase the pitches that are out of the strike zone? Yeah. So that's a, that's a good analogy. I describe it as you, you, again, I'll go back to the cookie cutter templatized sort of version. If you go on LinkedIn and your LinkedIn profile is probably very different than mine, but because there's a big function of my business that's marketing related, I, I have a bunch of marketing experts that I hear from on LinkedIn all the time. And I describe them as marketing experts because they are, but they're channel experts. So I'm very good at building quote unquote AdWords campaigns or Google ads campaigns. I'm very good at building social media campaigns. I'm very good at copywriting or whatever that is. But what if that's not the solution? And so when we go in again, just using marketing as an example, we, I like to say I am agnostic to the channel that we are going to deploy inside of. The only thing that I care about is getting the right mix of messaging and spend in the channels so that I can create a conversion. So I don't want to talk about impressions. I don't want to talk about website visits. I don't even want to talk about lead forms unless lead forms is creating an opportunity for sales. What I want to talk about is how are we spending money that, that creates the impression that we exist, builds positive sentiment, creates engagement in the brand, and then ultimately creates a conversion. And the more you start to think about this as a multi-layered, you know, 3D, 4D view, then you realize if Google is not the place to be, then don't be there. It, 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 but if Google is the place to be, then you should be there and you should meet your customers where they're likely to engage with you. And so that's where the discipline comes in, where I would never expect any of my account managers or any of the people that, that work on any of our clients' accounts to tell them to spend money someplace where it was inefficient or unlikely to create the most um, cost-effective conversion. Which is, by the way, anti-ad agency who wants you to spend as much as you can, as fast as you can, because they get a percentage of everything you spend. You know, there's one thing that, that, that you talk about that charcoal colored view of, of things. And, uh, you know, this is, I, I want to share this with, with people listening. So, you know, what you got there was a very, very sophisticated, but yet manageable viewpoint on how you should look at marketing and promoting your business. Now, as a purveyor of hype, I have a, a, a strong, a strong uh, affiliation with that. But I, I've had so many conversations with people that, so I was just having this before we recorded. And, you know, we had someone through here that through our office, I'm actually in my, in the office in this new startup hustle studio today. And, uh, I was talking about, um, you know, I was, you know, sometimes people get obsessed with clicks, traffic and whatever. And I hear people, you know, it's, it's about having the right visitors, not just visitors. And one thing that I catch people saying is they're like, you know, I, you say, well, what kind of marketing have you tried? What kind of promotion have you tried? They're, well, I tried CPC on Google and it didn't work. Okay. Tell me why. Well, I got 300 clicks, but nobody bought anything. And I'm sitting here thinking, and my response to that is it sounds like your landing page sucks or you're, or you're pointed at the wrong people. The job of the ad is to get clicked and it's over. 
that's it. That's the job of the ad. The ad is job is to get the attention to get the click. Now, if you're aiming that at the wrong people that are still clicking it, that's a whole nother subject. And if you bring people to something like, so I had this discussion with a former sponsor of Startup Hustle. And after like four, three or four episodes of sponsorship, we reached out and we're like, because they made it, they did make a specific landing page for us, but it only had a contact form on it, nothing else. Right. And they said, well, I don't know if we're, if this is working because we got 300 visitors, but no one filled out the form. I was like, oh my God, for what you sell, 300 visitors is like a landslide of visits. Like I guarantee you the rest of the site probably got that many visits, maybe in a month, probably not even close. So in that particular case, like I, we did our job, which is to drive the traffic. But if you put people in a, in a, in a crap experience, then it's not going to go anywhere. And I do want to get your response to that. But, you know, I, I do want to remind people that finding expert software developers doesn't have to be difficult, especially when you visit fullscale.io, where you can build a software team quickly and affordably. Use the Fullscale platform to define your technical needs and then see what developers, testers, and leaders are ready to join your team. Visit fullscale.io to learn more. By the way, it only takes like two minutes to fill out that form and you will see what matches are there. You can schedule a call to talk with us after where we love helping much like you, Keith. We like helping people get results that actually matter, not just, yeah, there's a lot of complexity to a lot of this. So, so yeah, so back to my, to my comment before that about the, you know, the ad did its job, but it sounds like you guys work a lot with your clients to really, I'm right about that. I know I'm right about that. Cause if you bring people to a, a crap, exp- well, think about it, listener, you ever click something and you get to the landing, wherever that directs you and you're like, huh? Yeah. So how do you fix that, Keith? Yeah, that, so you're you're spot on. I I I have very I have little kids, and so when my first daughter was born, I used to watch a lot of uh, late night infomercial television, right? As anybody who has kids understands, and I used to come into the office in the morning and talk about how I'd see a television commercial where the branding was blue and red, and then you go and you look them up online, and it's orange and yellow. Mm-hmm. And that brand experience doesn't connect. And all of a sudden that creates a sliver of doubt in your head. So that's kind of a, a, an easy example of, of describing what you just said. So <clears throat> I would add a layer to how you're thinking about this. You are 100% correct in that your, so your audience is hearing about it. They're, they're, the sponsor is, is talking to your audience as you're doing your piece. They're then leaving this show and they're going over, over there, right? And what I would say is most marketing companies will tell you that the data that they're gleaning from those referral visits or from those direct entries or organic searches, right? That's the end of the data. Their access to information starts and stops with whatever Google tells them. That's it. So for us, when I said earlier that we exist uh, to help the small and mid-sized business compete against the big box, right? That also means helping the you know the third the third level uh, university over the the university that has the most money that can that can dump over the top of the market, um, or the you know the 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 not the largest coffee provider or the largest um, uh, chain restaurant. And so most marketing companies will show up and data is the buzzword. People talk about data. And I always like 
to set, um, when I have those conversations, I like to set definitions. Okay, so data is data. And you talked about, you know, that sometimes it's, it's put together and it's searchable and it's queryable. And sometimes it's just a mess. And most of the time it's just a mess because it's not actually your data. What you're doing is you're reading back to the client or the customer what Google tells you you're supposed to read back. Okay, so we built, remember I said, <clears throat> excuse me, we left Amazon. So our data center infrastructure is actually our privatized data environment. And so I also said that we have, all of our clients are non-competing entities. So they're not chasing after the same dollar out of someone's wallet for the same product. So what we're actually doing is we're collecting first party data and we're collecting it with the person whose data is being collected with their permission. And this is where the statement of, <clears throat> excuse me, that data is private and it's not for sale comes to fruition. So now I can collect information. I can build behavioral patterns. I can build psychographic views. I can understand demographic um, information about you. And then I can introduce you to other businesses <clears throat> that might be interested in buying your product, except you don't know they exist. So if I can circumvent that process where you don't have to pay for the first click, but you can actually organically create it. Now you've saved money. And remember I said, you can actually invert that conversation and now create lookalike audience opportunities to expand the net, but you've created the net yourself. So data to me is not what Google Analytics tells me. It's not what Facebook Insights tells me, and it's not what pretty dashboards from Shopify or whoever else has them, because they're amazing. Data to me is on a customer level, on a one-to-one -one basis. What do I know about you? And what do I have permission to introduce you to because you have given me that permission? You mentioned the show on Showtime. I like to go back to the, uh, if you've ever seen The Great Hack, it's about the uh, voting in 2016, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. right? Uh, but it's also about the voting in 2016 about Brexit. And the Great yeah. Hack is, is simply an explanation. I think it's summed up by the professor who says, can I see all of the personal information that you have on me? Well, what if the answer is, yeah. What if I could tell you, yes, I can show you all the information I have on you. And frankly, if you wanted me to delete it, I can delete it. And I would, if you asked me to, I could return that information to you and it's yours. And the fun part about that is the first time someone asks me to remove them from the system, and that could be a business as well. I can lift it out because we use data lake technology. So everything is, is compartmentalized in your own little space. You are filling up that data lake or you're not, depending on the efficacy of your business. If I can take that out metaphorically, and hand it back to you so it's no longer in my system, then I believe that tomorrow the first phone call you make is back to me and you say, can I be back in your system? Because I've made a commitment to you that your information is your information. It's private, it's protected, and I won't sell it. And so as you start to think about how you build those campaigns and how you structure sort of what's happening on a landing page, yes, the sentimental value that you're creating when you when your brand is connected and that that actually works that's a that's a part of it but the next question i would ask to your previous sponsor is 
well, what do you know about the people who visited the landing page and didn't convert? And what do you know about why they didn't convert? Because most marketing agencies don't have the ability to recycle because it's not their own data. So they're just going to go back out to the market and fill the top of the funnel again. And that's when you get conversion metrics. Oh yeah, you know, well, we convert at 6% or 5% or, you know, this was a great month. It was 12%. Well, what if you could make it 20 or 25? And that would reduce the amount of splash you have to make in the market to actually get in front of people. And thereby your marketing and your go-to-market strategy or operational strategies right, are much more concise and they're much more productive. You know, there's, there's so many things when it comes to just data marketing and all of it, and some of it's not even data driven. Some of it's just like common sense for people not doing stuff. Like for example, on that particular page and form, there was way too much. They wanted way. I, I wouldn't have ever filled the form out. Like, and, and here's another thing. So, and I, I've just stated this to people. So going back to gigabook.com, we created a thing we called smart start, which was like, you know, like an actual intelligent onboarding system that the whole mandate was to reduce steps whenever, wherever. So you look at the goofy little things like, okay, so the zip code box is last on a form that also asks you to fill in what your city and your state are, which if you just ask the zip code, like there's like 10 million things that know what city and state you're in. Uh, then you're going to, sometimes you ask people what time zone they're in. Zip code also knows that. Uh, what currency do you use? Zip code knows that. Uh, you know, like all of it. And, you know, there, it, it really kills me when I, I see some people's like, a, a, like effort to collect data and they're like, God, everyone's abandoning their card. I'm like, cause you're making them do 20 other things. Now there's a, you know, this simple kind of supply chain or training or implementation format, which where you take the number of steps that are needed to complete any action and you multiply it times itself. So if you take, if it's a five step, anything, and by the way, every single field on the form is a step. Uh, you take five times five, that's a difficulty of 25. Now, if you get that down to three, that's that that's a three times three, that's a nine. That makes that almost, and yes, I know 25 divided by nine is not three, but that process is almost three times harder or three times le likely to not get completed or three times harder to implement if you're trying to get a group of people to like, so you look at that, if you were uh, that kind of data, if you were trying to install a new point of sale system at a hundred stores and you're like, you got to get this training down to like three steps as opposed to six, because the six step process is not twice as hard because it has twice as many steps. It's actually four times harder based on that formula, which, which holds. So like in any, and every case, like if you're trying to get to any kind of result, which, and I love the fact, like if, if you haven't heard one thing that we've said today, let this be the thing that really comes in. Conversions are the only thing that matters. That's it. None of it. And none of it. Nothing else. Nothing else. I don't care if you have, we go through this. So the fullscale.io blog gets 75,000 visits a month, fullscale and startup hustle, right? So with that, I don't, you know, like I've had to go through this with my own marketing team a few different times. I'm like, they're like, hey, traffic's up. Okay, where are conversions at? 
I don't care if the traffic goes down to 10% of what it is. If the conversions go up, I'm good. What's the purpose of what we're doing? To publish a quality? No, no, I don't care about any of that. It's to get a lead. It's to get a lead that we can take action on. So, you know, don't, don't, Hey, look, people, if, if you believe the lie long enough, it will come true, but probably not the way that you want it to. So I don't know. And, and, and I digress. I, I needed to get that out of my system, Keith. And once again, with me today, we've got Keith Serensky, who, by the way, I had to spell phonetically, you know, I, that's uh, congratulations on having a complex name. I don't think I could, I maybe could spell it now, but Keith's the CEO of Penn Business Network and go to P-I-N-B-N, P-I-N. I could make a jingle out of that in moments, man. That's like, yeah. Yeah. So, but I, yeah, I gotta say, man, I, I appreciate the outlook on it. Now you guys are clearly more than just a data company because, you know, I, and I really appreciate that about what you're doing. Cause it's one thing to be like, okay, your conversions are up, your conversions are down. This is the right audience. This is the wrong audience. I mean, there's, there's, I mean that you can get some guidance on that from different things. The question is, is how do I fix it? So that's like the deployment thing. So let's let's kind of let's let's arrive uh, at our landing place of, of this entire episode, um, and you know talk a little bit about that. So okay, so you as I mentioned earlier, you can have the data, but if you can't make it actionable, it's just garbage. In fact, you may by not being able to make your your data driven outcomes or decisions. Uh, reality, you actually are probably regressing because you're spending a lot of time on something that doesn't, you know, come out in a way that matters. So what, what are tips for actually deploying solutions that get results? Yeah. So it's a great question. So I will answer it with two words, process map. Okay, you should have a purpose. There should be a reason why you're doing something. So if your marketing department is building a marketing campaign and let's say they're using television and let's say they're using some radio and then they're using their overlaying, let's say a little bit of digital from a remarketing standpoint. What is the expected customer journey when your strategy involves those three channels and then you map it out. And so what we'll do is we'll say, look, you run television, you give two pieces of information. One is a phone number. The other is a URL. So when I show up on a phone call, what is the process that I expect every one of my employees to follow when they answer that phone and you map it out? You record those calls and you use it as training material. And if they create sales, do more of it. If they don't, there's a break. Now somebody shows up on your site, they're, they're milling around, they're doing whatever they do and they leave. And now they're part of your remarketing campaign. So a lot of people will just say, okay, well, we're doing retargeting. And that's great because we'll put our message back in front of somebody who didn't buy the first time. Well, first of all, are you sure they didn't buy the first time? Second of all, right, when they come back, what are you presenting to them that's different than the first presentation that didn't create the conversion in the first place? And most people don't think about that. So I'll run through the strategy and I expect them to fill out a form. 
Well, they don't fill out a form, so they leave. So now I put them back in my audience. I put a message in front of them. They click on that ad. They land on the landing page, and I give them the same exact message that I gave them the last time. So again, that will show up as a impression served and a referral from my campaign. And again, your DSP provider will pat themselves on the back because congratulations, you got another site visit out of it, a returning visit. Well, you still don't understand what about your process is not creating the sale. So we process map out. If you're going to use Google ads, this is what we expect to have happen. If you're going to use display, this is what we expect to have happen. If you're going to use a conglomeration or a combination of a bunch of different fields, then here is why you're going to use those channels. And here's the expected path we think customers are going to follow. And then those become the conversion points. Are we actually getting people to the form fill? And then are we actually getting them on the phone? Are we actually getting people to give us email addresses? And then are we reaching out to them proactively over time? Or is it just, hey, we tried it once and that was it? So process map, process map, process map. Because once you start doing that, number one, you can't stop, right? But then it holds anybody that works for you or anybody who you're doing work on behalf of more accountable to a thought process that's beyond just what Google will give you in Google Analytics. Because again, there's nothing bad in what they give you. It's just, it's a shaded version. It's a shadow understanding of what's actually creating a conversion versus what's not creating a conversion. And so we've had clients that come in and they want, a, they want an inbound, a, a marketing strategy to create inbound calls. Well, they have one front desk person. Yeah. Right. Or we want a strategy where we generate 100 form fills a week. Let's just say that. Okay, 100 form fills a week. What's your outbound contact strategy? How are you going to manage that? Because again, marketing metrics don't stop, like you said, just because I got a site visit or a form fill. It's how much revenue am I generating off of these clients and these new, these new contacts that are coming in? And then frankly, how much money am I, do I have to spend in order to get one of them? And is that acceptable? Right? Because then all of a sudden you, have, you start to have conversations about, well, yeah, so here's my cost per acquisition or here's my cost of, of advertising right? or here's my return on advertising. I don't, it doesn't matter to me what, what acronym you use. What matters is, is that an acceptable number? And if it is, great. How many more of them do you want and can be created up into the capacity limits of your business? But if it's not an acceptable number, what do you know about that conversion journey and what de what points of demarcation have you laid out that basically say, I expected this to happen and it didn't. So now I've got to figure out why that, that piece didn't occur and I solved that problem, right? Most people will just say, um, okay, well, my cost per conversion was supposed to be $5. It turned out to be 10. So then another marketing agency will come in and say, yeah, we can do it for 450. And they're like, yeah, sign me up. Like you, your, the problems are gonna persist. Right. Regardless, because you have to look deeper into your organization. And this is where data actually comes from. Data doesn't just mean I have customer information or impression information or website visits. It's what do I know about the structure of my actual organization and where are the parts that are helping me create conversions? And what are the parts that are actually getting in my own way of creating those conversions in the first place? And how do I resolve those issues? Yeah. And, you know, and that's, that's spot on and that's still bad. And a lot of that is still coming back to, I don't know, man, I'm still kind of stuck on this point where people take too many steps. 
those are steps. Like for example, when you go to fullscale.io, you fill out the get started page. Like at the very end of that flow, assuming that you're qualified, we offer you a, a, a appointment schedule like right there. Like now the shitty way to do it is the contact form kind of way where I'm going to collect your data and then I'm going to start emailing you to, Hey, can you click here and schedule an appointment? Cause I really want to talk to you. Like, do you get it? Look, the best time to get, don't direct people away from your site. If you don't need to, like I, it drives me nuts. Like it's hard enough to get visitors to your site. Don't do anything to push them away. Put it all right there right in front of them. And there's no better time to ask for like the, well, we'll look at like my version of that is the equivalent of the add on sale. So, you know, I used to be a sales trainer and I managed a, a, a section of a whole lot of retail stores at one point. And, you know, our highest margin products were, so it was musical instruments. And, um, you know, you don't tell someone they need guitar picks, a tuner and extra strings for their kid's new guitar after they buy it. The best time to sell it's when you're there and you need to be able to, to also on some levels, you know, so I, I would sell here. Okay. So you really stuck on this $99 guitar, Keith. Now I'm going to just tell you that, you know, as I mentioned, when I was showing it to you, this instrument is not high quality. So it's not going to stay in tune for that long, which means if it's always terribly out of tune, your kid's not going to want to play it. Can I at least sell you a tuner? Also, there's going to be some point where your kids are going to find a fascination with these, these, these little keys at the top and they're going to turn it, turn it, turn it to one of these strings breaks. Let me sell you an extra pack of strings because I don't want you to have to drive back here to make a 99 cent purchase. And then also you're going to need here. Here's a $3 pack of guitar picks. These thinner ones are going to be easier for the kids to hold and use. And then you boom, like that's the whole, that's the same thing as like, if you're going to collect someone's information, if your goal is to have them a call, let, let them have a call, you put, put a joint subscribe to Gigabook or Calendly or anything that does that while you're there, you'll have a much higher conversion rate when it comes to getting the call. Like for us, it's one thing to collect your info, but I don't even, I wouldn't even, would never accept a client that we've never spoken to. So we need to get that part in there. And then what we find is that and the other things just take looking at data. Um, so we have never ever in the, in the history of our company, had a had a lead submission that came from a Gmail, Yahoo, AOL, Hotmail, or anything that ended up being a good lead. Why? Because we provide technical services to rapidly growing companies. And if you don't have a freaking domain, if you're not Keith at something that's not Gmail, then you're a shitty lead. So, but we, you are, I'm sorry, you are now don't use this to game my system listeners, just so you can get a call with us. But, but the thing is, is we were finding, cause as our lead volume really went up from the traffic from the podcast and all that, we were waiting down, we were creating organizational drag. We were actually accomplishing the opposite of what we wanted to do. Cause our calls were getting loaded up with uh, people that weren't our ideal target customer. Now it's easy to look at that stuff and be like, yeah, but they could, coulda, shoulda, woulda. I live right now. Okay. In two years when they get it together and they get moving and they actually get a domain, you are not a tech company. I did not have to email you a, the link for this recording to Gmail, Keith. 
It's the whole point. So, but you got to look at some of that and it feels counterintuitive. Like, we should probably really talk to every opportunity, but if in the history of your business, it's never occurred, I'm no, I don't want to go through 2000 phone calls to find the one because I'm not sure I'm making any money at that point. And it's the same thing goes like data-driven decisions aren't just, we talk so much about marketing, like another, uh, the business that I wrote my, my book, Million Dollar Bedroom about, um, at one point we were spending so much time and effort trying to prevent one specific type of error that would be costly. And then I really kind of sat back and I looked at it and I was like, man, we spend a lot of time and labor on this. And I started doing the math because it, it really didn't occur that often, but it was kind of lame. It was like, so we were a, tic a ticket brokerage. And if you deliver the same PDF to two people, someone doesn't get in the event, but that only happened like once a year, maybe twice a year, but we felt bad because we didn't we ruin someone's night. It was a shitty thing on our behalf, but we were spending so much time doing it. I did the math and I realized we're spending like four to six times more in labor than the cost that we would lose when that occurred there. So I, I literally made the decision. I'm like, we're, we're not going to do three, four layers of extra checking or whatever. We have to have a different approach. And these are the things that you got to do this is how you deploy data and like yeah and it's and 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 look you got to really get into it and and drive it and i just did something the same thing with applicants so i get like uh, just under a thousand people applying to work at full scale every month. And, um, you know, the, th the first part for our developers is they have to take some technical assessments, but I had 40% of applicants not taking them. And I had to really get into why I'm like, it's really expensive for me to get these people to apply, especially in bulk to have 40% of them not taking it. And some of it had to do is you don't know where your emails are always going. Right. So they can end up in junk or spam. It just happens. And so with that, I was like, we need to install a text message reminder, you know, and, and put those in and it, and it, and it went down to 15%. Right. Exactly. I mean, and you look at that, think about that though. You went from to our whole goal there is if you apply to be a developer, we need, we need you to take a technical assessment, but if you don't take that, you're, you're done. The process does not move forward. So we went from, you know, like, and that's our, our prime primary thing we sell. So literally think about that. Those were, 200 to 250 people. Now look, we hire one and only one in 30 candidates, but that result, that just simple change and implementation of our approach to getting the result we wanted, because that's the conversion for us. And, and, and we were having problems because we were, we we're so good at selling what we do and we're really good at what we do that sometimes we run out. We have like had waiting lists. I'm like, so how do we fix this? So it's like, Oh, we need more applicants. No, we don't. We need to do a better job of handling the ones that we have. Bingo. Now, I'll never get that number down to zero. It'll never happen. It'll never happen. And I get it. And I'm cool with that. But guess what? Those ones. And that's another thing I went and looked back at the, the lifetime of people that hadn't taken an assessment. I'm like, why aren't we remarketing to them? So, oh, so many, so many things to go. All right. So we we're, we're about at the, at the end of our time for this episode. And I have a feeling that we could probably <clears throat> go on about this forever and ever. And I'm going to do our, our, uh, our final freestyle here, but you know, it, do you need to hire software engineers, testers, or leaders? Because let FullScale help. We have the people on the platform to help you build and manage a team of experts. All you have to do is go to fullscale.io. You're going to answer a couple questions and let our platform match you up with our fully vetted 
highly experienced team of software engineers, testers, and leaders. And by the way, our average developer has seven years of experience. That's a lot. At Full Scale, we specialize in building long-term teams that work only for you. Learn more, fullscale.io. All right, so we're going to wrap this up, man. I'm going to go ahead and give you the mic for, for, I usually say the founder's freestyle. I've got a CEO today, so we're just going to do the freestyle. So I, I don't know what stood out of it about our conversation today or what did we forget to mention? Yeah, so so I think the, the most important thing is kind of where you hit it at the end. Data, data comes from all different places and a data-driven solution for an organization might be figuring out how to create efficiencies along a user journey when you're when you're talking about hiring new applicants, right? And we will look at that the same way you did. And what I would say is all I what I would recognize in the pattern you just described is there are a couple of gates that people have to pass through. And so if you know they have to pass through those gates, then you give them that information right up front. You don't wait until it's time to get to that gate to provide that insight. You tell them right away. And the more you can make those things um, self-serve, the less operational costs you have to deal with until it is time for them to engage with you. Right? So now your product is leading your growth strategy as opposed to outside sales or outbound sales you know, leading that strategy. The only other thing, and we did talk a lot about marketing. I think marketing is, is kind of easy to understand, or maybe it's not. Maybe it's just it's part of my wheelhouse because of my background. Um, but the, I think the analogies and the stories are, are easy to sort of discern and tell. But PIN, at PIN, um, we, have a, you know, we have a service side about marketing. We have the data infrastructure. So we call our private um, network and our, our uh, data management platform, Prometheus Intelligence Technology. Uh, that is really the engine. It is the database that you can query. So you basically, quote unquote, ask it a question and it returns an answer that is meant to resolve that challenge. We also have uh, our own commerce um, piece. It is a headless design. It's, it's microservice API based um, and it services you know, Fortune 1000 organizations. It's not Shopify in that it's templatized. It's made to separate the database and the product information from the actual presentation, uh, headless design. We have our own social media environments. You, it exists in all 50 states. It's called Our Community Now. You can look it up, ourcommunitynow.com. It looks like a news aggregation site, um, but you can actually post content to it. You can put pictures on it. You can post videos to it. I can actually live stream to it. Um, we have our own video department here. They're actually the guys that helped me get this all set up uh, as, we, as we came in here. Um, and then we have our own MSP department, the Internet of Things. So all the technology in our office and for a lot of our clients, we install from Wi-Fi networks to desktops and um, you know, phones and systems like that. And then, again, all of that technology, I will call it, is used to create certain pieces of data. And then you catalog and categorize the pieces of information that matter. And then the stuff that doesn't, you let it go. And so I think the last thing I would say is for us as an organization, we want to help organizations when we say the 3D strategy, and that is actually what we call it, data, discipline, and deployment. We deploy data with discipline. We want our clients to have that same level of thought and insight. And we want to arm them with information that allows them to make good business decisions um, so that they can manage their operation so that they can manage their go-to-market strategies so that at the end of the day, 
They can, if they would like to grow, they know where they're going to grow, when they're going to grow and create some level of predictability, knowing, you know, you know, as a business owner, you're never going to be able to get to full predictability because who could have guessed, you know, February, March of 2020 and what we've been dealing with since. Um, but the idea is once you figure that out and you're in that environment, data is going to be the thing, understanding what information you have access to and what you can do with it. That's the thing that's going to move your business forward. And so we, if I can, I will often say to clients, even that don't sign contracts, if I've given you a piece of information today that allows you to think about a problem differently, that's enough for me. Um, because once, once that metaphorical genie is out of the bottle, you, you can never put it back. So there's something you mentioned that uh, you talk about the, the client journey. And I actually invented a word to describe what you were doing the same for. Democation. It's demonstrating and educating at the same time. And I, I actually use that a lot. And, and it, I think it's a very strong thing because, look, people aren't buying for reasons that you that are always easily understood. And people have, so this is just, in the world of sales is it's simply known as objections. Now, buyers that don't have objections usually aren't buyers. They're tire kickers. Like normal people that want their interest in your product have questions. So objections are like, is this better than the other thing or whatever? And if you listen for the echo, and, I, and if you listen to this show regularly, you know what I'm talking about. But there are things people ask over and over and over. And I get through this. I was just hiring new salespeople here at Full Scale. They said, well, what's the sales process like? I said, it's the same questions. Over. And over and over. So we try to democate with our initial, like I, I can give you a one minute overview of what we do and slice through so many objections. Like people will tell me at the end of this minute, when I talk to them about full scale, they'll, they'll be, they'll say, they'll literally say, wow, that answered so many of my questions already. I'm like, great, great. Now we can talk about other stuff. Now, another thing We've talked about messaging and I, and I wanted to throw this in earlier and I got on a tangent because I'm very passionate about many of the things we talked about. So, you know, a lot of times when you're not selling, converting or doing or getting the result that you want or the revenue you want, it's because people are obsessed with talking about the features that, of something. No one gives a shit about your features. They care about the advantages and the benefits that said features provide. And <laughs> yes. those are way more important than the features. Like, for example, I went to buy, I use this a lot. I went once to go, I was convinced that I was going to buy like a $2,000 camera, like a camera. Because I was, honestly, I was tired of my wife talking about the shitty pictures that we had on our phone at the time uh, for family events and whatever. And I went to Best Buy. And I got there and I was like, cool, tell me about it. I'm looking at this like $1,500 camera or something. And the kid, and it was very much kid, went through and like just went down this like list of shit that didn't matter. And I, it could totally confused me. And so I left and I came back like a week later and there was someone else there. It was, a, it was not that the kid versus adult thing here, but it was an adult. And, and the guy said to me, he goes, well, what do you want this to do? And I said, I want the peace of mind of knowing that my wife isn't going to complain about the pictures on Christmas morning. He goes, well, what's your budget? And I told him, I said, whatever it takes to get that done. <laughs> he walked me right over to a camera and he told me, he said, look, there's a whole list of stuff this does, but really what you need is a high quality picture with something that auto focuses, that's easy to do, 
so on down the line and say, great, wrap it up. Like I'm that easy to sell to because it's, it's the end result that people want. They want the benefit of the feature. So, so many, I, you run into that. So it's like a, it, and like at Gigabook, we do online appointment scheduling, increase efficiency, who cares? We give you peace of mind that you can actually take a client booking while you're providing service to another, or maybe while you're asleep, we unchain you from your business. Now we made the fundamental shift from presenting it as like, who cares? Like another thing that schedules me or takes a payment or whatever to unchain yourself from your business, which like at that point, people were like, Oh my God, I feel so chained to my business. Okay. I, I wasn't a marketing genius. I literally heard enough people say, I feel like I'm chained to this business. I'm like, well, there we go. That's the whole thing. It's like the same thing with, you know, make your message clear, like at full scale, build a software team quickly and affordably. That's it. That's all, that's all, that's all key point. So anyway, so many things we could probably go on and on and on. I'm going to have you back another time so we can, we can readdress the, the many ways that, that people are aggravating us when it comes to their own efficiency and operation sales, all of it. Keith, thank you so much for joining me and go to PINBN.com. See ya. See you, Matt. Thank you. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.